Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When we think about the benefits of exercise, we tend to think of what it does for our body, making us leaner, stronger, and healthier. But my guest is out to emphasize the powerful effect physical activity has on our brains too, and just how much our bodies and minds are connected. Dr. Jennifer Heiss is a professor, the director of the NeuroFit Lab, which studies the effects of exercise on brain health, and the author of Move the Body, Heal the Mind. Today on the show, Jennifer and I first discuss how physical activity can help treat mental disorders. She shares the way that low to moderate intensity exercise can mitigate anxiety and how short bouts of intense exercise can be used as exposure therapy for treating panic disorders. We also talk about the phenomenon of inflammation-induced depression and how exercise can alleviate it. And Jennifer shares how exercise can strengthen someone's attempt at sobriety as well as prevent addiction in the first place. From there, we turn the way exercise can not only mitigate mental maladies, but actually optimize the mind. Jennifer shares how physical activity fights aging and can enhance your focus and creativity. We discuss how exercise can improve your sleep, how it can be used to shift your circadian clock, and whether it's okay to work out close to your bedtime. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash move the body. All right, Jennifer Heiss, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you are the director of the NeuroFit Lab at McMaster University in Canada. Uh, what do you research at the NeuroFit Lab? Yeah, so my lab studies the benefits of exercise for brain health. So we look at the benefits of exercise for mental health, cognition, and in the prevention of Alzheimer's disease. And how do you start exploring that connection between physical activity and our mental health? So it was uh, back in graduate school, I was studying sort of the fundamentals of neuroscience. So how does the brain represent who we are as people and our memories? And it became really clear to me that something was not quite right with my own brain. I was having some pretty severe anxiety, some intrusive thinking. And um, I, I went to the doctor. They recommended I try an antidepressant. I was very reluctant. And then a friend recommended I try cycling. And magically, those bike rides soothed my mind. They quieted my mind. And it really had a profound shift, not just in my personal life, giving me a lot of peace, but also in my professional life because I became fascinated with understanding how exercise was having such a profound effect on the brain. And so that's where it all began back in grad school. And uh, we've been intensely studying it ever since. 
And this idea of there's a connection between our bodies and our mental health. This is, I mean, this is, it's been going on for, I, I would say 50 years, but this is a break from Descartes, right? Who said, mm-hmm. famously said the, the brain and the mind are separate, right? The body is just the machine and there's a soul inside the machine and the body doesn't really have effect on the mind. But what the research is showing is, no, we are our minds. Our body is our minds. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Descartes, he did a lot of damage. (laughs) I mean, it was important, the mind-body dualism that he set forth, because prior to that, um, the body was really mystified, like... um, like a spiritualized, religious, like, and and the study of it couldn't take place. So he had to kind of separate the mind and the body, kind of spirit and body to advance medicine. But in doing so, he removed basically like the, the shoulders up from the study of medicine for such a long time that we don't really, we don't fully understand how the brain works and we don't fully understand how to take care of our mind, what the biological bases are of mental health. But yes, you're right. We are absolutely paving the way. New research is very exciting and we're starting to piece things together. So you got a book out, it's called Move the Body, Heal the Mind, where you make a a very reader-friendly summary of this research you've been doing at your lab. And you explore how exercise and physical activity can help different types of mental health issues. And the first one is anxiety. And I'm sure all of us have read the articles or heard the podcast about how anxiety is on the rise in the West. What does your research show about exercise's effect on anxiety? So exercise has a really profound effect on reducing anxiety symptoms, and the effects are felt immediately after we exercise. So you go out for your workout, and in that sort of acute phase, as soon as you're done, you know, when you're like, oof, done, that gives us a huge reprieve in our anxiety levels. But even if we consistently go back to exercise, we get less and less anxious. Now, there's there's kind of an interesting play here with intensity of exercise. So um, when you're feeling especially anxious, so um, uh, if you're already in a stressful situation at in life, for example, then intensive workouts may not be the best mode to go to because the exercise stress will add on to the stress in your life. And vigorous exercise, as you know, mimics the symptoms of anxiety. So your heart will race. It'll be difficult to breathe. And for a lot of people, this can create a panic attack situation where, you know, the heart is racing so fast that they're afraid they're going to have a heart attack. So when it comes to exercising for anxiety, just kind of check in with yourself because sometimes too intense is not good. And the research shows that at that low to moderate uh, intensity, you can really get a lot of benefits. And the reason why is these lighter intensity exercises release this neurochemical called neuropeptide Y. And essentially, this is like a resiliency factor that bathes the brain, it bathes the uh, the fear centers, the amygdala, and helps to essentially quiet those centers down. Um, so it's having this biochemical effect to, to give you that anxiety relief. Yeah, I've, the neuropeptide Y, I've read studies where they've looked at Navy SEALs And I think they typically have more neuropeptide Y than the general 
population. It might be a genetic thing and like they're just being selected for that inadvertently. But you're saying that exercise, even if you don't have Navy SEAL levels, neuropeptide Y, it can increase it. Is that, is that increase immediate? Yeah, the increase happens immediately after and it lasts for about 30 minutes afterwards. Now, the research done so far has only shown that you have to do the exercise to get the boost in neuropeptide why there's no kind of residual effects over the long term so this you know this is why consistency is key you know so that every workout that you put in you get that boost now the cool thing about the navy seal studies is that you know, not all Navy SEALs have this uh, abundance of neuropeptide Y. And the ones that don't have as much, they're the ones most likely to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is really a protective factor for the brain against trauma and stress. Okay, so you get the immediate boost of neuropeptide Y when you exercise, and that can help. And if you do exercise consistently, it can stave off anxiety or mitigate it. I mean, is there anything else that goes on with exercise that helps prevent anxiety in the long run? Like, let's say you you do some intense exercise when you're not in a state of stress. Does that have any type of an effect on long-term anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about the stress response, a lot of anxiety stems from like a, a maladaptive stress response. And the stress response is this balancing act between the sympathetic nervous system, like that fight or flight response, and the parasympathetic nervous system where the rest and digest. And when we use exercise like in a state of calm, essentially we're training up our stress response. So we're activating the sympathetic nervous system when we're vigorously going. And then as soon as we stop, we are flexing our parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest, so that it becomes stronger and better able to help us recover from stress. And so by continuously like hitting the stress system with exercise, um, we can actually strengthen our stress response, not just for exercise stress, but for all stressors in our life. And so ultimately what happens is that when we experience a stressful situation in our life, yeah, it will activate the sympathetic nervous system, but our parasympathetic nervous system will be really strong and better able to engage so that we stay you know, more calm and less reactive. Okay. And I also, you mentioned the book, you've also done research or there's been research done on, let's say someone's got severe anxiety and they're actually getting talk therapy for it, exposure therapy. Combining that with exercise can actually give that a boost, correct? Oh yeah. That's like a super cool finding. Now this, this is a bit tricky. So people with um, severe anxiety or like panic disorder, um, when before I was talking about how anxiety symptoms really mimic the symptoms of vigorous exercise, right? So the heart racing, difficulty breathing, um, difficulty concentrating. So this this vigorous exercise is actually can act as an exposure therapy for people who have panic disorder. So most most people with panic disorder they avoid exercise. They hate it. They especially avoid vigorous exercise because it evokes those symptoms that they fear the most, right? So there's this anxiety sensitivity that makes them really sensitive to vigorous exercise. But it turns out that vigorous exercise is the medicine that they need, but in really short baby doses. So uh, for example, one way to sort of microdose intense exercise into their life would be just doing like a few seconds of sprint. And the idea is that it exposes them. So you you sprint all out for like a few seconds and your heart immediately picks up 
it's difficult to breathe. You stop and everything comes back down and you realize you're safe. But it gives you that exposure to those symptoms that you fear the most. And you, you know, over time with the repetition of this, the exposure of this, eventually those symptoms lose their power and control over you and you're not afraid of them anymore. And that then transfers into the panic disorders that you feel in your life. That's really interesting. And I imagine too, besides the neuropeptide wide increasing and strengthening the parasympathetic systems, I imagine exercise, just moving your body gets you out of your brain, right? And part of yeah. the problem with anxiety is you're just worried about stuff that's not really happening and moving your body like takes you away from that and kind of gets you back into just the present. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So the mind, it has one track. You know, we can only think about one thing at a time. And when we're, when we're, our heads a mess with anxiety, we're, you know, focused on negativity and just getting the mind to think on something else, like the breath. This is, you know, meditative techniques often focus on attention to the breath, but you can couple that with exercise. So attention to movement, attention to breath. You don't just have to be sitting still. You can be moving and it doesn't just have to be yoga. It could be running or weightlifting. The, the point is you're focusing sort of on the here and now and it's grounded in the body. Okay. So for anxiety to sort of prevent anxiety or reduce it in the long run, do that intense stuff because it's going to make you more resilient. But if you're feeling stressed out right now, take it easy because that might just add to the stress. So like maybe a, a walk, for example, would be the thing you'd want to do. Perfect. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, let's talk about another issue that's been on the rise in the West, and that's depression. And you start the book talking about you know the usual response from many general practitioners. You had this experience yourself. You go in, you're just like, man, I'm. It's been like a couple of weeks. I'm just feeling gray. I'm just feeling really down. Well, the GP will say, well, you know, here's an antidepressant. Why were you hesitant to take the antidepressant, and what are some of the problems of relying on antidepressants to treat depression? Yeah, I was uh, reluctant to take the antidepressant. You know, I. Partly because these drugs have um, an, a profound effect on the whole brain, not just for the intended um, benefit to reduce depression. And you know, I was I was pretty scared of of what alterations would take place, and so I, I wanted to just at least explore alternatives. Um, and for me, fortunately, my symptoms were mild. I mean, some people don't have that luxury, their symptoms may be too severe and they may need immediate help. Um, and, and the antidepressant can be really beneficial and transformative for some people. So I want to make sure that that message is clear, that it's it's not, um, I'm not anti-antidepressants, but I do think that having options is really important for people. I mean, the first line of defense for most general practitioners or doctors is is to prescribe an antidepressant. And we've seen that on the rise, especially for mild forms of depression that may benefit from other alternatives like exercise. And so um, I think it's important that you know, we educate our medical practitioners on the benefits of these other therapies um, and, and sort of equip them with the tools. I, I don't think it's their fault. I just don't think that they're trained. They're trained really to prescribe drugs and um, for ailments. And so uh, I think that it really, it comes back to Descartes, actually. Okay. <laughs> you know, this biomedical model and, and we need much more of a holistic approach to our health. Well, something you talk about in the book is that even when someone is given an antidepressant, they don't always respond to it. 
And that's because depression, it isn't homogenous. You know, there could be different causes for it. And it may not be a serotonin problem. The depression could be caused by something else. And one of the sources it could be, sources of depression, it could be inflammation. And we actually had a guest on a few years ago talking about the inflammation-depression connection. But can you, can you kind of summarize what we're discovering about the connection between inflammation and depression? Yeah, super fascinating. And this, I think, is, is the form of depression on the rise because it's linked to chronic stress. So when we are experiencing chronic stress, as many people have in the last several years, what happens is that the body was never intended to deal with stress at such a chronic level. It was really designed to kind of deal with it acutely. So the predator or whatever the threat would be immediately in the physical environment, and then it would either be dealt with or not, and then the stress would go away, right? So it wasn't like today in modern life, like there's, you know, stress after stress after stress, day after day after day. We worry, which creates more stress. The uncertainty of situations create even more stress. And so this chronicity, this chronic stress that we're facing day in and day out is really damaging the body. And what it does is it it starts to damage the cells, like physically damage the cells. And it, this launches a sterile immune response. And so it's sterile because there's no bacteria or virus in the body. Um, it's just the damaged cells from the stress. And so the immune system launches an attack against these damaged cells. This elevates inflammation. And that inflammation doesn't just stay in the body, but it can start infiltrating into the brain. And when the brain has too much inflammation, it creates a lot of problems for the natural functioning of the neurons. And so things don't function as well. And this can lead to dysfunctions in neurochemicals, but it can also lead to kind of slowing of processing, brain fog, depressed mood, and there's the source of depression. Not necessarily coming from the root cause of like a, something you're born with, a biochemical deficit in you know serotonin production or some other neurochemical, but a lifestyle, the chronic stress of life is damaging the body in ways that are, are affecting the mood. Yeah, I mean, like when you're sick, think about that. When you're sick, okay, not only do you feel bad, but like you get depressed. Like you just want to hunker down in a blanket. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that there's a connection there. When you feel depressed, you don't want to do anything. When you're sick, you don't want to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And that's like an evolutionary advantage, right? Because if you're kind of antisocial and you're home alone in bed, you know, you're not going to spread the bacteria or virus around. And so that was actually like an evolutionary advantage. But now if inflammation is being caused not by a bacteria or virus, but rather stress, then that advantage is no longer. And instead, it just looks like major depressive disorder. Can we, are we able to screen for inflammation caused depression? Well, technically, yes. The research suggests that certain cytokines, these pro-inflammatory cytokines, can actually are elevated more in people who have depression, especially drug-resistant depression. TNF-alpha is one of them. However, it's certainly not routine clinical practice, even though we've known about this research for about 10 years. So, you know, again, we, we need to sort of catch up the medical community to some of the newer research on mental illness and how to treat it. So one thing we've, they've discovered with people with inflammation-caused depression is that exercise helps. But this is counterintuitive because 
exercise is a stressor, it causes inflammation. If you do a heavy weightlifting session, your muscles get inflamed to repair the damage you've done. So how can something that causes inflammation reduce inflammation to help reduce depression? So this is a beautiful thing about exercise. You're right. You go out for a hard run or a vigorous workout and the body has an acute inflammatory response. And this is to protect you, your body while you're you know, pushing it hard. But as soon as you stop, the exercising muscles then release these myokines that essentially act like an inflammatory cleanup crew. These anti-inflammatory cytokines then make the body they, they clean up all that inflammation that you produce from exercising and then some so that over time your body becomes less and less inflamed. And this is such a really interesting way that we can kind of rebalance, create homeostasis back in the body when it comes to inflammation. That's interesting. When we had the podcast guest about inflammation depression, he was researching uh, sauna use to mm, yeah. reduce inflammation. Because like what's in, you know, you heat your body up yeah. uh, and it causes inflammation and it can reduce inflammation in the long run. Yeah, it's I think all of these sort of acute like micro dosing of stress, like the cold showers or the holding of the breath or the sauna, the hot exposure or exercise, they're all micro challenging the body in a way that creates this counter response. And then over time, that that counter response, the recovery from stress becomes stronger and makes the body more resilient to stressors. So I think they're all kind of working with a similar mechanism on the stress response, which is super cool. In your lab, have you guys found if a particular type of exercise works best for depression or is it any type of exercise? Yeah, so the research has uh, pretty interesting, clear benefits. So um, when it comes to aerobic exercise, we're really talking like every step counts. And the longer that you go, the better. So every additional 10 minutes that you add onto your your aerobic exercise, you get an additional boost in mood up to one hour. When it comes to resistance exercising, like weightlifting or yoga, tai chi, the more intensive you are with the weights or the resistance, the bigger the benefit there when it comes to depression. Interesting. Okay, let's move on to another issue some people are struggling with, and that's addiction. How can exercise help in addiction recovery? So when when someone gets addicted to a substance, what happens is that it, the substance is addictive because it increases dopamine in the brain to supernatural levels. And what ends up happening is this the reward system within the brain ends up like locking down. So it strips away receptors. And what this does is it makes it really difficult to get enough dopamine response from natural things in life. So they're no longer rewarding. Um, they no longer induce that feeling of, of reward. And so what ends up happening is that when a, an addict then gains tolerance and dependency on the substance of abuse. Now, when they, when they enter sobriety, what ends up happening is that, okay, now they've taken away that supernatural dopamine and all they're left with is the natural dopamine, you know, the natural stimuli in the world that induces just a small amount of dopamine. And it's not enough, at least at first, because the brain needs to recover. And it will recover, which is a really fascinating, amazing feature of the brain that it heals itself. 
Um, but it takes time. And exercise, because it releases dopamine as well, can help speed that up. So it helps speed up the healing process. It helps crush cravings within that first you know, few weeks of, of sobriety. And it can be a real helpful tool for people who are in recovery. Another super beneficial effect of uh, exercise for addiction recovery is, you know, especially if you're exercising with a group, it creates a brand new social circle for you to um, have additional support. Um, and for most recovering addicts, you know they've they've lost a lot of their friends because they were all tied up with the the addiction and the the drug use and so building this new community of support and friendship through exercise has been extremely beneficial for a lot of recovering addicts okay just to make sure i understand so when you take a really strong drug you basically blast your dopamine receptors correct and it's just like that's right right and so to get the feeling back you have to take more and more of the addictive substance, whatever. What you're saying, when we stop the addictive substance, it gives our brain a chance for those dopamine receptors to get back to like a normal state. Yeah. And exercise can just help that process along. Is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you also talk about how exercise can actually be a great way to prevent addictions, correct? Yeah. And this is, again, back to the idea that exercise is a form of reward and can give the brain the dopamine that it seeks. So, you know, teen teenagers are especially experimental. They're they're seeking novelty and new experiences. And in fact, there's even a theory that suggests that that's like by design, like the brain is just like hungry for new experiences. And this helps them to explore the environment around them, to understand what the world is like, and then they're better equipped to function in it. And so exercising helps provide the brain the dopamine that it seeks within these novel rewarding experiences. And if if exercising is not there or these novelty experiences are not there, then there is a temptation to a uh, greater temptation to go seeking dopamine out in v- less helpful situations like in alcohol and drugs of abuse. And so uh, the research is really fascinating on that, you know, for teens, for young people who are more active, they're less likely to experiment with drugs of addiction, uh, drugs of abuse, they're less likely to become addicted. And so, yeah, it seems to be really beneficial. But there's this really interesting study I like that um, it contrasted, you know, the different forms of of education that we give students and young people about drugs. So there's like the anti-drug campaign, just say no to drugs, you know, this is your brain on drugs, that kind of don't do drugs campaign versus teaching kids how to live a healthy lifestyle that includes physical activity. And what the research found was that kids are less likely to try and experiment with drugs if they've experienced if they've been educated on a healthy lifestyle rather than when they've been educated to do the the anti-drug campaign. Because the, if you think about it, I mean, when I was a teen, if you told me not to do something, I was just more curious about why I wouldn't, yeah. you know, <laughs> wasn't supposed to do it. And so uh, this, to me, this makes a lot more sense and having that exercise there as part of that healthy lifestyle gives the brain the dopamine that it craves. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. 
Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete, adds authentic Mexican flavor, and they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is the chop sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. Check out the Sriracha Cha Sauce. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. 
So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Okay. So let's talk about another thing you, you were focused on. You don't just focus on, you know, preventing, you know, mental illness or mental health issues, but you want to use exercise as a way to help people have a more fulfilling life in all aspects of their life. And one thing you found is that exercise can help in the aging process. What does exercise do to keep our, our brains young? Yeah, so exercise has an incredible effect on the aging brain. So it essentially helps keep our brain young. So as we get older, we, um, well, the brain, even through adulthood, can produce new, brand new neurons, brand new born neurons within the hippocampus, which is critical for memory and learning. And it's also the brain region that's devastated by Alzheimer's disease. So by creating more new neurons there, we boost our memory keep our brain sharp and young and help prevent uh, Alzheimer's disease. Well, it also increases this um, substance, BDNF. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is yeah. BDNF? So BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and this is a growth factor uh, that helps support the survival functioning of these brain cells. And I like to think of it as like a fertilizer. So it helps them really thrive, the brain cells really thrive and function well. And exercise produces brain BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And there's this super cool new research out Primarily, it's been shown in animal models, and we're trying to bring it into human models in my lab now. But it's looking at this link between lactic acid or lactate and BDNF. So uh, lactate is produced by the muscles when they get into that anaerobic state. You know, when... um, when we're in an anaerobic state, what happens is lactate starts to accumulate and the accumulation of that lactate spills out into the blood. It travels to the brain, reporting directly to the hippocampus. And there it produces, uh, it sort of activates BDNF, which then can help fertilize and fortify the cells there. So it's a really fascinating link between like higher intensity exercise and the lactate that it produces. And then this growth factor, BDNF, that actually helps to support brain cells. Okay, so it can, exercise can help neurogenesis along. Has there been studies that show that it can help prevent or reduce our risk for dementia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so research from my lab, we did like a head-to-head comparison between uh, genetic risk, risk factors and physical inactivity. And there's a genetic risk factor, APOEE4. It's a it's an allele that puts people at a, an elevated risk. And about 25% of the population has it. And we compared that genetic uh, risk to physical inactivity and found that people who were physically inactive had a similar risk of developing dementia as those who were genetically predisposed. So it's I have this saying, you know, you can't change your genes, but you can change your lifestyle. And it can have as big of an effect on your dementia risk as your genetic profile. So 
you know, we often think about dementia as being sort of a biological disease, but we do have a lot of control. And this simple thing of moving the body can actually help prevent that. And you also found in your research too, going back to the social component of exercise, that it can, if you add in uh, sociability into exercise, it actually turbocharges the age benefits, correct? Yeah, it's really cool. So the especially for older adults who can suffer from loneliness and social isolation, exercise provides this social benefit. And there's this cool study. I really like it. It it, it showed that older adults who work out together uh, have better health benefits than those who work out alone, even if the ones who are working out together are not working out as hard. <laughs> So it really it really highlights the benefits that we get from being with others. And I think, you know, the last couple of years has been a testament to how important social connections are. And exercise is such a catalyst for creating those social connections. So another thing that people want to be better at, at least I do sometimes, you know, oftentimes is I want to be able to focus better, right? I'm at work, I'm just, I feel distracted. And your lab's actually found research that exercise, physical activity can help with focus. What does that research say? Yeah. So uh, basically, I mean, most of us do our work sitting, right? Or with little movement. And when we sit for prolonged periods of time, essentially the brain gets starved of the vital nutrients that it needs to really think and focus. Um, And so every 30 minutes, get up for a two minute movement break. You know, it doesn't have to be like anything vigorous. It could just be a stretch, Um, walk around the office, this, walk around the room, go go get a drink of water. The, that subtle movement from sitting to standing and then moving a little bit is enough to help um, increase brain blood flow, especially to the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is our most evolved brain region in humans, and it is it's governing all of that focused attention that we need to like inhibit distractions and stay on task. And it needs a lot of blood flow. It needs a lot of, you know, energy in the form of glucose and oxygen. And so we can give it that through exercise and research in my lab. We've shown that these short exercise breaks can actually help students prevent them from mind wandering during class so they can stay on task better. And then when you're on task, you're remembering things later so they perform better on their tests afterwards. Yeah, we've had guests on the podcast talking about the need to revive physical education in schools. Because mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of schools, I don't know how it is in Canada, but here in the United States, they've pulled back on PE because yeah. they want to spend more time studying for these you know, state-mandated tests. But some schools have found, well, actually, when they had the kids spend more time doing you know, vigorous exercise, or just vigorous play, scores go up. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. And I think that a lot of parents like and school administrators think that, okay, we just need to cram in more knowledge and information, but the brain needs to be primed to accept that knowledge and exercise helps to prime it so it's ready for learning and then it can learn better and learn more efficiently and more effectively. So it's it's something that we're really, we're really pushing here. Yeah, so I think the, the dose you gave in... Um the book for focus is like for kids, they need like 60 minutes of vigorous movement, right? So just like they get, they get out of breath and sweaty basically. Mm-hmm. I think it's like five times or seven. It's like every, every day is ideal, correct? Isn't it mm-hmm. for young kids? Mm-hmm. And then when you're a teenager, it's like three to four days is the minimum yeah. effective dose. Yeah. And I think, 
I'm not a stickler on like getting the max amount. I just want people to move more. You know, we, <laughs> I don't want to put too much stress on parents. They already have a lot of stress, but like, you know, just moving more, it accumulates throughout the day, get it in, you know? And so just focusing on that um, and, and being mindful of how much you're sitting and for how long and breaking up that sedentary time um, is really important. What about creativity? Is there a connection between creativity and physical activity? Yeah, yeah. So this is really cool. So um, the brain, you know, I talked about the prefrontal cortex and it kind of has these two modes. So one of its modes is like focus, you know, it inhibits distraction and um, we, ha- we call that inhibitory control. The, the the second mode is this mental flexibility, which is kind of like daydreaming, mind-wandering, creative thinking, thinking like divergently outside the box. Um, and so it, it has these two modes. And when we sit and stay focused for so long, what ends up happening is that that mode gets super tired and it can't do that very well. And then it just kind of does unproductive thinking. But when we when we exercise, what happens is we can switch the context. So we switch our context from sitting and focusing to exploring the environment, which, which flips the switch to that uh, mental flexibility. And this, it's it's sort of the idea like when you're when you're moving in in space and doing something different, it's very interesting to the brain. And you can kind of um, in states of flow, for example, when it's challenging but you're in the moment, you can actually couple these two different modes so that they're actually both on at the same time. And this gives you like the most powerful brain function possible. <laughs> So you're a cyclist, you run, you do the triathlon stuff. Like when you're on a run or a long cycle, do you get a lot of ideas for your work? Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, the best ideas come when I'm on my run. Yeah. And so it's like you're, you know, you're you're uninhibited by, you know, focused thinking. The idea is that when when we're kind of free to allow our mind to wander, then it gets more access to the deep repertoire within our brain that may not have bubbled up to the surface if we're just focused on one single point, you know, one single stream of thought. Um, so it 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 just opens up the channels. <laughs> Um, and the research shows, you know, this, um, when we look at different sports, certain sports are better able to unleash that creativity. So um, net and combat sports that have an opponent and they involve this improvisation and this play between you and an opponent, this creates a lot more creativity within the individual than say, for example, um, gymnastics or figure skating, which require you to memorize a predefined set of moves. So there's less creativity involved in that. And the idea is if we, when we train our body to move more creatively, we train our brain to think more creatively. And, and so even if you're not into sports, you can apply this to your own workout program by you know, changing things up. So take a different walking route or uh, try a different activity, even if it's just for fun. These additional things, these novelty experiences that we add to our life help the brain to stay in that flexible mode. Uh, Another connection you found in your lab uh, to our quality of life is exercise and sleep. What's the connection there? 
Yeah, so exercise uh, is so beneficial for sleep. Um, it, it's one of the greatest gifts it gives. And um, so it, it works kind of two ways. So exercising during the day, um, it helps us expend more energy. When we expend more cellular energy, like ATP, it produces this byproduct called adenosine. And adenosine is a natural sleeping aid. So when adenosine builds up to a certain threshold, it triggers sleep. And so when we move more during the day, we build up more adenosine and we can we can sleep better at night. We sleep deeper at night. The other way that exercise works is that it can help retrain or resynchronize brain time to real time. So um, we've all experienced this when traveling through different time zones. You know, you that jet lag that you experience when your brain time is just really out of sync with real time and it just takes some time to kind of realign the two. Well, exercising can help speed that realignment up. So we know that the sun is a really powerful cue of what time it is for the brain and the brain can kind of link up with the sun. But exercising actually has similar qualities as the sun does to help reset the suprachiasmatic nucleus, that master clock within the brain to help help us uh, sync up our time better. Okay. So you're having trouble sleeping, exercise during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there like a time that's best for that to get the benefits of exercise and sleep? Yeah. So some people may have heard it's bad to exercise at night. And the research shows actually it's okay as long as you're not going super vigorously to the point that your heart rate's still elevated 25 beats above baseline when you're about to go to sleep. So that's sort of the key. But if you, you know, a lot of people like to work out just before they go to bed. And if it's not, you know, if you're if you're able to re- get your heart rate back down before you sleep, then it will be very beneficial. But um, there's this cool research that was done. They use these micro ultra short sleep cycles where they'd like have people sleep for one hour, wake for one hour and do that for three days straight to just wipe out the, the circadian clock. And then they would introduce exercise at different times of the day to see how it impacted, how it would shift the clock. And so what they found was that, you know, if you're someone who likes to stay up late and you need to start getting up earlier and you need to shift your clock a bit earlier, then exercising first thing in the morning around 7 a.m. is beneficial. Um, but if you're, you know, someone who needs to, sleep in more and stay up a bit later than exercising in the early evening is best for them. So I think a lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, I know I got to exercise more, not only for my physical health, but yeah, not my mental health, Mm -hmm. but man, it's really hard to get going. It's hard to stick to a routine and your lab has actually researched why people struggle to start and stick with an exercise program. Uh, What have you all found? Yeah, I mean it's hard. It's it is hard. The brain is against us. It's kind of this relic of the evolutionary past when, you know, we needed to conserve energy to survive. And so when we weren't expending energy to to like survive, to hunt and gather our food, then uh, the brain was just like, okay, let's just let's just chill. You know, let's just be lazy here. Um, but now we don't have to really move to survive, at least most of the time. Um, you know, there's no imminent danger, no you know need to hunt and gather our food, uh, and so 
the brain sees voluntary exercise and as an extravagant expense, and it goes out of our out of its way to prevent us from doing it. You know that that negative talk in your mind. Oh, I'm too tired. Oh, we don't have time to do it. You know this this is just that you know that brain trying to conserve energy, and so there are certain things you can do to kind of remind yourself that resources are plenty. A, f- a really fun trick is to like swish some sugary drink in your mouth. And the trick is you don't actually even have to drink it. You could just swish it around and spit it out. And that actually helps to uh, reduce the effort you feel when you're first starting your workout um, to kind of essentially break the inertia and remind the brain that resources are plenty. Um, but I think it's it's also important to remember um, that it is harder to move when we're not mentally well. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, we conducted did some research, surveyed 1,600 people, asking them, you know, how are you doing? You know, what's your physical activity like? And not surprisingly, people were really, you know, they were stressed, they were more depressed and more anxious. Their activity level was down. People who were able to be active, um, they they were faring better. But uh, and people shifted why they wanted to be active. So instead of being active to f- like physically look good, they were trying to be active to like feel better mentally. Um, but there was this mental health paradox where they wanted to work out to, for their mental health, but their mental health was getting in the way. So they were too stressed or anxious to exercise and they lacked the motivation, which is a symptom of depression. And so we created a toolkit. It's, it's available on my website, neurofitlab.com. And basically, it goes over some evidence-based tips. But essentially, it's, you know, like, keep in mind in those states, you know, some is better than none. Consistency is key. And it's back to this idea that, you know, yeah, there are these benchmarks that we want to meet in terms of what's best for the brain and body. But every little bit counts and some movement is better than no movement, especially when it comes to your mental health. And so having taking like a much more compassionate approach to exercising and, um, you know, taking off the intensity and putting in the time. I personally found this to be really uh, beneficial. Um, like you said, during the pandemic, I had been, I had started training for this Ironman and I had, prior to the pandemic, I had been going out you know, training pretty vigorously. But once the pandemic hit and the uncertainty of the situation, it caused so much personal stress in my life that when I would go out for these long runs or these vigorous runs, I would start like panic, like my body would go into this panic attack mode. Um, And so I had to learn to just essentially take off the intensity. So I'd put in the time, but it wasn't at that intensity that I that I was used to, you know, because I wasn't in that same mental state as I had been before. And so doing these check-ins with your body is really important and being just really compassionate with yourself and, and understanding that, you know, it is really when it comes to your life and your health and your well-being, consistency is really the goal. <laughs> okay. So yeah, the takeaway there, if you're having a hard time getting started with an exercise program, change your mind of what an exercise program has to look like. I think a lot of people think, well, it's got to be like an hour long of intense, whatever. It doesn't have to be like, if it is, if you get like 60 minutes of day walking, it's broken up in 15 minutes throughout the day, start there. And also make sure you pick something you enjoy. If you, if you hate, uh, marathon running, like don't do that. (laughs) You're not going to do it. it. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. 
Well, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Because in your book, what's great, besides all this research you highlight, you also provide some uh, starter templates for people for exercise programs. So where can they learn more about that? Yeah. So my book's called Move the Body, Heal the Mind. Um, you can order it anywhere books are available for purchase. I have a website that gives some background on the book, um, Jennifer Heiss, so J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-H-E-I-S-Z dot com. Um, and I, I had mentioned my NeuroFit Lab website. Um, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Heiss. Follow me there or on Twitter at Jennifer Heiss. Fantastic. Well, Jennifer Heiss, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My guest today was Dr. Jennifer Heiss. She's the author of the book, Move the Body, Heal the Mind. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about her work at her website, jenniferheiss.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash move the body. We can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles about pretty much anything you can think of. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's free. You can get the daily edition or the weekly digest as well. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLYS to check out for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, it's Brett McKay reminding you to not only listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.